Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers. And I'm Andrea Willits. Together, we're disrupting the trance of unworthiness and guiding women to reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. Today, I'm going to be introducing you to a very, very special guest, Monette Chilson. She's an award-winning writer whose work celebrates the feminine in God and God in the feminine. Her first book, Sophia Rising, Awakening Your Sacred Wisdom Through Yoga, was honored with both the Illumination Book Award and the Hoffer Small Press Award. She's contributed to numerous anthologies, as well as publications, including Yoga Journal, Integral Yoga Magazine, and Elephant Journal. My Name is Lilith is her first children's book. She lives in Houston and summers in the mountains of North Carolina. Hey, Monette. Hey, Monica. I'm so happy that you're here with me today. Me and, too. Yeah, and I love, I love the gift that I got. I know I already said that, but I'm going to say that for, for our listeners. Monette sent me two books that she has written, and one is called My Name is Lilith, and it's actually a Girl God publication. So I don't know if you remember in an earlier episode, we uh, introduced you to Trista Hendren, who is a, also um, a collaborator. Is that right, Monette? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then um, she also sent me her copy of Sophia Rising, which is Awakening Your Sacred Wisdom Through Yoga. So actually, what I would love to just start start with, Monette, is just, um, I know that we met through Trista, but tell me about how you guys kind of met and collaborated and decided to kind of do all of this amazing kind of self-publishing in this realm of what you're calling the Girl God Publications. Um, I met Trista after my first book was published by a traditional publisher, and it had a lot to do with finding that feminine space within us. And Trista and I naturally just radiated towards each, towards each other on social media. We became friends and I saw what she was doing. And it was something that I would have liked to have had as a child. In the introduction to Sophia Rising, I talk about growing up in a Southern Baptist church, very patriarchal, very punishing God, and just sitting there on the pew and imagining what it would be like if I could have an image of a girl God for me. So really meeting Trista was just um, transformational. I had come across the archetype of Lilith in my research, and I was very drawn to her. And I thought that she was an archetype that was either lost or demonized or both. And when I saw Trista um, publish My Name is Medusa as a children's book, and the idea was to reclaim a story of strong femininity, it just hit me in a wave that we needed to do that for Lilith. So I reached out to Trista, told her I thought we needed to do that. And she ended up turning that whole book into a series of books on strong women in theology and mythology. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just so, it's so brilliant. So, so again, for our listeners, the, the first book was the girl God book. That's how you became introduced. And that was a children's book. And you're right, right? Like I was, it's so, it's so funny when we start sharing our stories that I was that girl in the pew in the Catholic church. You were that girl in the Baptist church, right? Yeah. And Trista was that girl in the, I forget what her original, um, I think it was, uh, it was a very conservative Christian denomination. I'm yeah. not sure which, maybe even just general evangelical. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I wanted to say that. I wasn't positive. And then absolutely. So my name is Medusa. And like we're, we've all grown up with the kind of demonized Medusa. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we're, of course, unpacking and revealing in so many of these podcasts is that how we have traditionally grown up to be socialized with all of these tales, myths, fairy tales of these kind of demonized females. They were actually originally these strong female heroines, goddesses, um, and mythological characters who have been suppressed. Yes. Yeah. And it just like, I mean, I'm over here just just, you know, feeling my chest open, because I want to kind of talk a little bit right now about Lilith and your book, My Name is Lilith, because I didn't know about the story of Lilith. I didn't know anything about the story of Lilith. And I didn't realize because I actually, Trista was so wonderful. She just published um, one of my blog posts, which is all about sitting in the Catholic church and hearing the story of Adam and Eve and recognizing that there was some kind of like just disharmony between what this, how the story was being told and what was landing in, in as truth in my body. And I was like, we do not have the whole story here. You know, again, like these are so much of the the Bible, right? And we can kind of unpack this a little bit too, is myths and stories and poetry and Psalms. And there's such a collection, but so many of these stories, especially for those of us as little girls who grew up in these religious environments, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of damage done by kind of the systematic storytelling of women in this way. And so what I'd love to do is kind of turn this over to you and have you tell our listeners who Lilith is. Well, Lilith is a mythological first woman of the world. And sometimes people say, well, is it true? Like they're looking for the factual truth. And I kind of like uh, Joseph Campbell's definition of truth, which is uh, it's true if it feels true to me. It doesn't have to be factual. So I think there's a lot of truth in Lilith. And I think you're absolutely right that everything we've heard, not just in the Christian Bible, but in most religions, is mediated through a patriarchal lens. It's told by men, it's told from their perspective, which is fine, but it's not fine that it's the only way we've gotten it. So Lilith, she's a very interesting phenomenon because she pops up like when you're researching her in different cultures at different times in slightly different ways. I'd say she's most strongly rooted and there's the most uh, written about her in the Jewish faith. It's interesting because one thing they do 
in the Jewish faith is they they try to explain the things that are confusing or that are discrepancies within the scripture so that people can understand. And one of the things they explained, the rabbis looked at Genesis and they looked at how it first explains that Eve was created from the earth with Adam. And then a few verses later, it says Eve was created from his rib. And they said, well, which is it? And the explanation they came up with was, well, the first woman was actually Lilith. She was created equal with Adam. They were partners. That's how God created it. And then according to the legend, Lilith refused to submit to Adam, wanted to be equal partners. And she either left the garden or was kicked out of the garden, depending on what version you hear. And so then God had to start over and created Eve from Adam's rib so that she would be submissive under him. So that's the story. And it's really interesting to me that if you look at the facts, all Lilith did was say, I'd like to be an equal partner. And that's really important to me. She used her voice, but because of that, she was absolutely demonized. Um, If you look her up now, you will see pictures of really, really dark kind of femininity. She was a witch that people were afraid she would steal babies. Uh, She wasn't a real woman. She was, you know, copulating with demons, you name it. And all she did was say, I am a full person, you know? Yeah. That's all she did. That's all she did was say, I am a full person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And so it's really, I love that Trista started her, I call her a micro publisher because she really publishes um, a lot of books in a similar genre and she does it really well. But I love that she started with messaging to children because if we can get those little girls sitting in the pews like you and I were to start integrating the feminine strength and the feminine divine, at that point, they have a lot less to unpack when they get to be our age. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think that I think it's really interesting that it's, it's like the damage of omission. That we don't recognize how impactful, or at least I didn't until I started recognizing with books like The Girl God, even just how I reacted, right? In seeing a children's book, you know, and just a series of stories that started to allow me to, as you said, Joseph Campbell said, feel truth within me, like feel that resonance, like that there for me as as a girl, And again, this is for all of our listeners out there as individuals, as unique individuals who are, you know, interested in, in honoring their own individuality, that, that it's really, it's not about identifying with the virgin, the whore. We all get to be these multidimensional, unique, interconnected beings with our own voice, our own ability to choose our own way of being our full self self expression that gets to be completely different from one another's and that we're all human beings sisters right that that are here to really celebrate and live and nurture one another but there's so much 
it seems like there's so much fear, suppression, uh, inability, right, for women to really see themselves as being and I and I'm wondering Mona if it's because of this if it's because that we haven't had these archetypes like st- we've we've really started to recognize how important it is for women to have these stories first of us first of all for us to tell each other our stories but when we start to see the absence of stories or the absence of strong female characters in stories, we mm-hmm. start to see that like, wow, it really does go back to this sense of like modeling or aligning with or imagining. Yes. And that those are all things that I feel get really shut down at a very early age. That how many stories can you consume where there's either an evil witch, a wicked stepmother or a fairy princess and not be like, well, I'm not the wicked witch. I'm not the godmother. I must be the princess. And the princess is always looking for the prince. Do you see like, and I call like, it's so funny because a lot of people will talk about fairy tales and like the romance. And I'm like, romance is the trance, you know, that, that actually there's an entrapment in romance that I think so many of us women fall prey to. And not that I don't, not over here as a full-blooded woman, don't I love romance, but I'm talking about it in a in a way that is harmful as in yes. terms of how we consume information, how we see ourselves in the world as young girls and what that ends up becoming as we become adults and kind of have only ever known these stories as ways to identify with ourselves. Yes. I think as women, if we can't see ourselves, our feminine selves and God, it's impossible for us to see God in ourselves. So I think you have to start at that place of reclaiming, which is really what I do. And just about everything I write, there's a facet of that. And it was really powerful to go through this process, starting with the children's book. So starting with what is the core of the story? And how can I tell it in a really simple way? And then building on that, a year or so later, Tristan and I started working on the anthology that was released more recently. And that process, when you talk about women identifying with Lilith and all her different parts, that was really bringing that home because I was getting pieces submitted by women literally from all over the globe. I think we have 45 women from many, many countries uh, in this book. And each one brought a different piece of Lilith to the table. Yeah. And so the anthology that you're referring to is called Reclaiming Lilith. Yeah. It's Original Resistance, Reclaiming Lilith, Reclaiming Ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I shared with Trista, I think, on the other podcast that I have a special relationship with that book because I had bought it and was reading it in the waiting room and... I saw an image, I think it was um, She Meets Herself, and it was the image of the woman meeting the woman. That was a true kind of waking dream experience that I had in an eight-month-long depression in my bed. And that actually, a very similar kind of image became the logo for the Revelation Project, which is a face looking at a face, which is in the shape of a butterfly. And it was really, it was when I learned to love myself was in that 
eight month depression, I went back kind of over that eight month period. And I feel like I was having this almost shamanic journey of reclaiming those pieces of myself. Yes. And so seeing that book again and reading those stories, it was so freeing for me because there were so many of the women's stories as part of this anthology. And what I loved was you were, you had asked to get submissions from all of these different women all over the world who were actually resonating with this Lilith this archetype and sending their stories in. And then you publish this beautiful anthology of them. So it was like reading what they had to say. And I was seeing myself in these various pieces in all of these women's voices. And what's more beautiful than that? It's very much a mirroring, like you described. It's people will say, well, is it a, you know, how to book? Is it a self-help book? And I'm like, well, it will help yourself. But it's through stories. It's through reclaiming that narrative and that female archetype. Um, It's not through telling you what to do, which is super powerful as women to see ourselves reflected and kind of collect those pieces that have been lost along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's so important. It's just vital, I think. And it's and, and to normalize that as women that it's it's so natural that we should have to go back and collect those pieces where we've abandoned ourselves. And because we weren't given the full story, like we were just talking about when we were young in our formative years, we were told stories that were exclusively through the male lens. And I think it's most powerful and most actually damaging to us when it's done in a religious or a spiritual context, because it it allows you or it, it keeps you from connecting with that vital feminine part that we're all recovering now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, and it brings me to this question, which is, so what is spirituality to you? You know, um, I would definitely say right now I am spiritual, not religious. Spirituality to me is just connecting with that truest part of myself that I absolutely believe that a divine being put inside of me. Um, I'm very much not into the rules and the dogma right now. I am just, um, I'm just trying to reconnect with, with myself, with the God or goddess of my understanding. It's very important to me because obviously words are important to me. And I think there's a lot of language that that harms without women realizing it. One of the things I did early on in Sophia Rising, actually, because the idea behind that book was to help women connect with that still small voice within them, which is spirituality to me. But I was finding a lot of women would say, well, you know, I'm fine with with male language in the Bible. I'm fine with the preacher calling God he. So I decided instead of arguing with that point to do an analysis, I took the Bible and did a analysis of the pronouns. And then once you look and see that, I, I believe it's been, you know, a few years since I wrote it, but I believe the mo- most glaring discrepancy was between the pronouns his and hers. And I think his was used 5,000 something times and hers was used 46 times. So if you can look at that as a woman and say, oh, I'm good with that, 
okay. But most people, when they see that, because that's a possessive pronoun. And if you can't see hers, you can't claim what's hers. Yeah, it's it's such a great point, right? If you can't, yeah, yeah if you can't see hers, you can't. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's interesting too, how you said that you did an analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, it was important to you to actually ask that question of women. And I think that it's true, Monette, that there's, there's like this, um, there's still a lot of like unconscious kind of, what do I want to call it? It's, it's like, it, it's, it's like this unconscious level of like upset. I, I don't know what else to call it. Like that. Because I agree, there was a time in my mm-hmm. life where I was like, no, that doesn't bother me, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's okay, right? Like, I know what they mean. And yet- It's part of the trance that you talk about. It's part of the trance. Okay, thank you. It is part of the trance. It is. And it's like, if if when once you start actually just- breaking through that trance, you start getting in touch with, a, or at least I did, a deep mm-hmm. grief. And underneath mm-hmm. that grie- grief, or maybe it was rage first, and then underneath the rage mm-hmm. was grief, right? That there was, there have been so many, you know, just times in my life where I have had it be okay when it wasn't okay. Like it's right. never been okay. Yeah. And I has taken me so long to get in touch with how not okay it's been. Yes. Because now as a mother, I see things that, you know, are true for just my my daughter's experience and her generation and how it still is running rampant, mm-hmm. where so many women may be out there thinking like, well, it's gotten so much better. And it's like, hmm there's still so far to go. It's like we have barely scratched the surface. And I think when people um, want to make it better for their daughters, I think a really important concept is there's nothing more powerful than living it and claiming it for yourself. Like I could say all the right words to my daughter, but if I were still in a place of denying the feminine divine, my words would not matter. So the most important thing we can do for the next generation is start to reintegrate and reclaim that lost part. And that will give them permission to do it. And it will give them a role model that maybe we didn't have. Yeah, well, it, it is. It's so, so important. I want to I wanna kind of um, also go back to the Sophia rising and kind of this, this idea of Sophia, because I think too, again, for our listeners, you know, a, a lot of people refer the, to this as, as kind of the, the Sophia century. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wondered if you could talk a little bit, like, I'm just over here, uh, I'll be fumbling my way through my understanding, but uh, hopefully authentically, <laughs> but my understanding kind of the, of the so- Sophia century is that in the Bible, Sophia is really referring to wisdom. And I want to think about wisdom, I think, and I think about the Sophia century, I think, well, isn't that amazing? Because when, to me, wisdom is that divine self, that moment that we enable ourselves to get still and to listen for the divine inside of ourselves, that that's the voice of Sophia, that's the voice of wisdom. And yes. so I wanted to just ask you, what, what's your interpretation and why did you call it Sophia Rising? 
no, I knew I wanted to write this book to help women get in touch with that. But I was really afraid at that point because it was early in my journey. And I kept thinking, oh, I should put like Jesus or I should put something acceptable. (laughs) And it just didn't work. And I didn't know. I didn't know what I was looking for. And I honestly can't remember the moment when I discovered Sophia. But when I did, it just clicked. And I realized that, again, just like Lilith, there was this powerful story of feminine contribution to the divine that was completely minimized. I read all the different translations of the Bible, and I joked that in a lot of them, wisdom was, you would never give it the legitimacy of being a female power. It was called lady wisdom in this really kind of offhanded way that made it sound like, I don't know, like a fortune teller from Scooby-Doo or something, (laughs) right? Like, Like it didn't give it the gravitas that like, I was like, wow, this is it. And then Greek for wisdom is Sophia. And when you, when you take it to that step and give her a name conjures up a feminine embodiment, I was like, that is it. Yeah. I want to make her, I mean, there's enough men in the Bible giving us all of these, you know, embodiments. I was like, we need to embody this woman, this lady wisdom, call her Sophia, which is the Greek translation and just go with it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love that. I love that. And so, yeah, so it's, I and I haven't had a chance to read it since I got it yet, but Awakening Your Soul Mm-hmm. Or awakening your sacred wisdom through yoga. So, so talk because so I, I'm sure we have many, many um, yogis listening. Uh, I'd love to hear just your journey through yoga and like what's what's available in the book. Well, the book does a couple of things. I've already talked about connecting with the feminine divine, but I also wanted to give people permission. I personally spend most of my time in Houston, Texas, so I'm in the Bible Belt. I've been doing yoga. 27 years, a really long time. So back in the early days, I encountered a lot of people who were drawn to yoga, but they were afraid of the spiritual parts because again, they were getting patriarchal messages from the pulpit that said, oh, don't open yourself to that. That is not our God. And there was just a lot of confusion. So I wanted to give people permission to open to the feminine. And I wanted them to give permission to let their practice be spiritual and not be afraid. So the book kind of walks through that. It's very um, integrative of all faiths. And it shows how yoga, again, back to the spiritual religious, it shows how yoga is spiritual and gets you in touch with that still small voice, just slows you down, puts you in a place when you can be receptive. And it is absolutely not tied to any one religion. I'm just over here again, like shaking my head, right? Yeah. Because because it's true. Like, again, there's so much confusion between religion and spirituality, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's like, and this fear, we like we're going to be opening ourselves up to something that is not their God, his God. Ah. Yes. It's just so frustrating. Yes. It's so maddening. 
And I think that that was, again, like not having language for my experience in terms of somehow the fact that I could not find a church or a religion to practice in. It was like, why do you need one? Why? Why do you need one to be your spiritual self? What you are your church. Like if you can find a place to be fully self-expressed as you, yeah, those are your people. Yes. And the yoga, the yoga mat became the first place that I felt like I could be my true spiritual self. And that's part of that is woven into that book as well. Talking about how I knew in my deepest self, I needed to go to a church that empowered women. And I was having a hard time finding one that truly did that. And I wandered into this yoga studio. I think I was 25. It was an overwhelming sense of spiritual release, relief. And I didn't even know much about yoga at all, but I felt like, oh my gosh, how is it that I feel at home on this yoga mat when I feel foreign in the churches that are like the places I grew up? Oh, I love I love what you said, though. And I, I, I heard it differently. I, I but that you can correct me that the yoga mat became your first church, like it your did. church. Absolutely. And I, I love that. I love that. Um, just visual, too, because it's like the church of me. <laughs> like, and that's there's nothing blasphemous in that. It's right. it's, it's like finding, I'm gonna find my way here but finding again that voice inside of me is connected to the divine and that that is the first place of of worship i think there 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 is absolutely so i'd love to hear more just about you know cuz you were kind of intimating as as you've spoken mm-hmm. about you know the girl in the pew the 25 mm-hmm. year old that found her first church on her yoga mat so i'd love to hear more just about like what was kind of your biggest struggle like what what's been like the theme really that you've revealed throughout your life i think it's been a search for the feminine divine and running into wall after wall. And I am very stubborn. So in my journey, I have tried again and again to make what I learned as a child feel like home. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist. I went to college and I thought, you know, I should really go to the Baptist Student Union. I don't know why I thought that, because if I was listening to my true self, I would say run. Mm -hmm. But I went. I got baptized again in college, Monica, because I kept going back to the same thing that didn't work because that was my pattern. Going back, going back. You would have thought I learned my lesson. As a young mom, my cousin invited me to go to this mother Bible study at a giant Baptist church here. You would have thought if I were in touch with my still small voice, she would have again said, run, run. But no, I thought, how bad could it be? And I went back and it was like, that was the last, that was an awakening for me because I went to this group. I heard women and it really made me want to cry. They were so repressed and so into their role as godly women 
that they were completely out of touch with their sexuality. It, I think it was an event around Mother's Day that I was at with them. Not Mother's Day, uh, Valentine's Day, because it was all uh, themed around love and romance. And these women were under the impression that they had to submit to their husbands in all things. They could never say no to sex. None of them appeared to enjoy it. I just remember, which is strange for me, being at a loss for words in our little small group discussion. I just sat there with my mouth open and they said, what's wrong, Monette? And I said, this is so sad. I said, do none of you enjoy sex? Do you not? Uh, I, I wasn't even being very articulate. And they just said, oh, you're just sexually advanced. Oh and I thought, I, I, and you know, this is what's still happening in our churches. Mm-hmm. The female is subordinated to the male in a way that makes a real relationship with the, between the two impossible. 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 It's, ah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so right, I'm happy so... to say that I have not gone back to that well of Baptist church since then. I have learned my lesson. Well, but but what I but what I'm hearing is so helpful, right, for our listeners too, because it's so true. I I mean, I, as you were talking, I was like, "Yep, I can't tell you how many times I went back trying to be that good, good girl, mm-hmm. good Christian, yeah. good, yep. right? Like the shoulding. I should be able to. I yeah. should have. What about my daughter? Like I should have some right. kind of faith for my children to grow up in. I should this. Mm-hmm. I should that." And it's like, it's just, it's such a racket. I agree. (laughs) It's such a racket. And I think it's the, the, I love how you said, you know, I had to keep slamming into wall after wall after wall to like, get it to like, I will never forget as well, kind of like bawling on the phone with somebody that finally kind of set me free with this. She was, she was, um, more of like a spiritual advisor, non-denominational, but she, she kind of said, Monica, like anything that you want gets to be your church. You can go to every church and no church, but the most important church that you could ever hope to go to is the one where your voice gets to be heard inside of yourself, you know? And I just thought like, I finally kind of like started to like, be the crack right in that yes in that just illusion of like finding myself somewhere out there somewhere out there in the societal kind of like constructs that tell me I'm gonna belong or that tell me I'm gonna be saved or that tell me that they're gonna show me the way and And all of those walls were so helpful because there was this bigger voice in me that was just like, no, not this. No, not this. And I just kept trying, right? Yeah. But at some point, I just was like, there's something wrong with me. That's that's what I got to before I got to there's nothing wrong with me. Right. (laughs) That actually there's something very healthy about me that I you know, continued to question my whole life, like why this wasn't sitting with me, why this wasn't resonating with me, why I couldn't find the thing that would, you know, really speak to me. 
And it was finally, I think, when I stopped the search, when I stopped searching and realized that there was actually a voice to listen to on the inside that was way more powerful than anything I could find on the outside. I think if if I could encourage women to do one thing, it's to listen. And even if they think it's absurd, what feels sacred to them is to do it. If you get a little inkling in the middle of your day that you need to go stand outside in the sunshine, just go do it. Yeah. Follow the voice. Follow the voice. Uh, One of the most powerful experiences I've had with a group of women is um, I'm very drawn to the Celtic tradition. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, it's very, it's this lovely combination of being rooted in the earth and in the seasons, but it's got this Christian kind of rooting. So it kind of feels like it meets the needs of that spiritual place I grew up in, but it also meets the needs of being grounded to the earth and following my true nature. So we were listening, friends of mine and I were listening to a speaker from the Celtic tradition. He mentioned, like in passing in his talk, this sacred spot in New Harmony, Indiana, which I had never heard of, called the Ruthless Church. My friends and I looked at each other and we said, we need to go to the Ruthless Church. It was almost like, God has just put that down there. We picked it up without doing much much research at all. A few weeks later, we took off driving from Texas to New Harmony, Indiana. And Monica, that whole trip, it was like I was following the unreasonable, irrational voice of goddess. Yes. We, We followed and we got there and it was absolutely like we were... It was the most spiritual moment of my life when we arrived in New Harmony at midnight and it was absolutely quiet and there was not a soul. And we walked into the roofless church, which is more like a garden with old stone walls. And we laid down in the grass, looked up at the night sky. We held each other's hands and we made a vow to always make space for this in our lives. And at that moment, a shooting star went across the sky. That it for me. I could not get that in a church. I had to follow the still small voice to the place that didn't make any sense because hello, Indiana. And there was God, right? I I mean, I couldn't make that up. I couldn't. Well, I I love too that. So, so, and again, for our listeners, like that, this voice of the goddess, right? Like so many women that I'm meeting more and more women are um, back to kind of this like Sophia century. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, this goddess awakening um, that is is happening. You know, you can kind of really feel that part of this wake up call is this, you know, reemergence and revealing of the goddess. And so back to kind of your revelation project. Right. Part of it was hearing this voice in you as the voice of the goddess. So mm-hmm. tell tell me, like, again, just for our listeners, like, what for you is the discerning factor that makes it the voice of the goddess? I think I've always secretly heard my inner voice as goddess because I'm female. Mm-hmm. But I also have always turned intuitively and said, no, no, it's God, it's God, it's God. I was very afraid for a long time to say goddess, to call God she. That was probably my biggest fear about writing Sophia Rising is that 
I'm actually going to come out and tell people that I call God she, and that's really scary. Um, so it's been a gradual reclaiming. And language to me is important. That is like a super, I won't say easy because it's not easy, but it is a very tangible way to start, even if it's just in a quiet whisper to yourself mm-hmm. saying she. Um, when I'm in public places and we say the Lord's Prayer, I have switched it in my mind that I don't even have to think about it now. I say our mother who art in heaven. Um, when we say kingdom come, I say her queendom come, her will be done. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? So, right. so again, like I, I, I often also am always confounded, right? Or, or just like, whoa, like, wait a minute. So in each human being is the masculine and the feminine. And a lot of people are like, like I had a guy the other day ask me how he could bring more, how did he say it? He said something like, um, how can I bring more feminine? However he languaged it, it wasn't about bringing more of the feminine energy. It was more like more of the feminine gender. And I was like, wait a minute, there's, there's a difference. There's such a difference here. Yeah. Like, and I often think of like, okay, if source, who we call God, goddess, right? Mm-hmm. If part of the whole journey was about the split, splitting, like when you think about just creation, right? And you think about the egg and the sperm, the masculine and the feminine, again, coming together, right? The egg and the sperm, it's it's repeating over and over and over is this idea of the separate having to come back together to create having to come back to separate to come together to create having to come back to separate right and so again it's like but it's so interesting because even in our human selves we've separated the human from the divine mm-hmm. we've separated the male from the female We've separated the masculine from the feminine. And it's like we can't get our heads around it because we're in this duality. Like our ego wants to go into this duality. And yet our divine selves seek harmony and are looking for the unity. Yes. What gets really fascinating, Mm -hmm. right, when you start actually getting quiet is you start to get these ahas, these revelations where you start realizing that everything, everything is this kind of like sexed pair. Yeah. And that it's what's necessary for creation is this tension between the two. Yes. And it's this fascinating kind of like my biggest revelation to date, I think, is this understanding of that within each of us, we embody this masculine and feminine, but that everything out there is a mirror, mirroring the masculine and the feminine. I think yoga is a great playground to practice that. Yeah, I love and I, I love that you say playground, right? It is. It's right. It's a practice. You're never going to be performing yoga. You are going to be practicing. And I have a teacher right now who is wonderful about bringing in concepts of masculine and feminine, the yin and yang and all that into the practice. Because really, I found that in yoga, you have to be strong and flexible. If you take either one of those too far, I I like to lean on my flexible part and not really cultivate the strength. And I'm going to get hurt like that. 
Right. So, and what, what I'm hearing you yeah. say is, again, there's the strong is the masculine, the yes. flexible is the feminine. Right. Yes. Right. So it's bringing it's it's in yoga. What you're uh, what you're honoring is mm-hmm. that kind of like the necessity for both to be present. Yes. Right. To have the integrity of the pose. Yes. Yeah. And we like to understand things in our head and our culture and we like to research and wrap our mind around it. But really, if you can wrap your body and your soul and your heart around it, like yoga is an embodied practice. It really takes the ideas that we have and integrates them in like this magical way that I don't really understand, but it works. Well, and it, and it goes into one of my favorite themes, which is around this embodiment mm-hmm. and integrating all of this in the body. Because again, as women, I swear to God, I think I say this in every single episode, that as women, and I'm wondering now if my listeners are just can say it with me, it's like we're taught to disembody. Mm-hmm. We are taught to disembody. And so again, yes. like a lot of people are are kind of resistant to this idea of yoga for the reason that you said earlier, but there's you don't you don't have to do yoga, right? To there's dance, there's but yes. for women to get in their bodies is so important because any of those modalities um yes. are really about integrating and about feeling you know, that spirit that we are these animated, right, bodies, and it's the spirit Mm -hmm. that is animating them. So it's so wonderful, again, like, because we do have so much of our understanding in our heads. And it's until we actually integrate these understandings and these bigger kind of concepts into our body, that we're going to really truly then get back to this place of alignment, right? Yeah. Where we're reclaiming our voice and all of those chakras are back in balance mm-hmm. and um, we're feeling rooted and grounded and strong. And that's where I see a whole real, I always call it from revelation to revolution, but you know, that women are actually then coming to meet men because until we actually embody this feeling mm-hmm. of equality, this feeling of worthiness. Yeah. Men aren't going to be able to meet us because there's many of us that are still like in this trance of unworthiness and aren't embodied. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most important things um, that we can do as women is get over the idea of, I don't want to share the limelight. I don't want to promote other women. And as you were talking, two women popped into my mind and I'm just going to put it out there because I think that we all get our influences and our ideas and just validation from other women. There's a woman who I follow on Instagram, Morgan Day Cecil. She has led uh, Sophia retreats. She is very into reclaiming your body and your sexuality. Yes. And I, I love her work. And the other one that came to mind, who I have actually signed up for one of her courses, is Stacia, and I can't remember her last name, but she's Stacia Style School, which sounds very fluffy and light, but her whole message is your body is not the problem. If you are looking at, oh, if I just got my hips under control and my stomach and whatever, you're missing the point. Your body is not only okay as it is, your body is sacred as it is. And Mm. she teaches you 
inside out congruency, dress how you want to feel like it's not about putting on this show for everyone else. So those two women, I think, are doing beautiful work in the world. And I want to acknowledge that. I love that. Well, what <laughs> I'm like, talk about a whole nother episode, and we can open this can of worms a little bit. <laughs> and um, but is this whole idea right of supporting other women, but you know, what you're pointing to is what I call kind of and I don't know what you call it, but I've called it kind of this inner misogyny that as women, we don't actually realize. And going back to how you were so afraid to talk about the goddess, or mm-hmm. even like think of that inner voice as the goddess, that yeah. in its own self is kind of again this this training ground right of i remember when um my partner andrea was initially this is like years ago when she started talking about women as goddesses and i was like whoa that's getting like really woo woo <laughs> and she she just kind of laughed at me but like i was like what is this like i got mm-hmm. so curious about myself and then again back to kind of understanding the absence of the goddess it's like everything god has the goddess right uh night has the day the sun has the moon the right it's just everything and and it's like i didn't see it as that like it like like that it's, of course, the world is out of balance. Like, of course, the planet, right. of course, ah, the feminine is missing everywhere. That's right. It, it was truly like, mm-hmm. ah, and here I am, right? You know, the steward of the revelation project, which is the steward us, haha, which is <laughs> so hysterical every day to me because at the end of the day if this is only my project and nobody else out there is really having their revelation project I'm like well dang you know this has worked out well for me because I'm getting all kinds of putting it all together finally and it has taken me my whole life well it's a practice you know it and it happens when it happens and everyone gets to come to it in their own time yeah Yes, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. It's just so exciting to think like, if it took me the first 49 years of my life to get here, what is in store for the next 49, right? And also not to be afraid of that crone archetype. As we talk about turning the page after 50, like embracing that crone and that wisdom. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's dive into the crone a little bit. Well, and before we do that, I want to just say about kind of the the misogyny. It's it's interesting. Again, as women, we have to start recognizing that there is kind of this um, conditioning around other women. I find that when most women get together, there's like a genuine fear of other women. They haven't learned how to be authentic in the presence of other women and be able to kind of manage some of the emotional stuff that comes up with other women like there's there's a whole podcast here around that but it's I love what you're saying about you know really and I love of course the work of um what was the book I just read was Wolfpack with Abby Abby yeah and and you know again that that idea of like really uh championing other women you know, mm-hmm. and like, we can't do this alone. It's really, it's about celebrating each other and even looking at jealousy, actually, as it turns to jealousy, but it originates as admiration, mm. you know, and that the antidote yes. to jealousy is admiration, you know, that there's actually something you admire in this woman 
but it shows up for us as jealousy because we don't know how to be with admiration. Yes. Right. One thing that I did with this book that Trista hadn't done before, and it was another one of those goddess things that just, I knew we needed to do it is I wrote a curriculum for Lilith circles so that women could in community process this awakening. And it's been really beautiful starting to roll that out in real life. Yeah, well, and I'm so glad that you're because you're segueing naturally into this. So talk about before we go into kind of the crone, talk about Mm -hmm. the the Lilith circles, because I think I had asked, I forget how it came up with Trista, but then she pointed me to your website. Mm -hmm. And that might have been actually how I first found out about you was I started looking and recognizing that you were holding these Lilith circles. So tell me about those. Well, I wanted, there's so much power in this anthology and I wanted a way for women to not absorb it just in isolation. So I just took different themes from the book and put different readings together and journaling prompts and kind of laid out how women could set a sacred space for themselves and others and just kind of follow the steps and walk through and read and listen and share. And I've been, I've only done a few of them with women, but it's been very powerful. And women have been very vulnerable. I haven't found a lot of walls. I haven't found distinctions, but the women that show up have generally been, you know, very diverse in age and ethnicity and everything. And I, I think there's something too processing these truths in community and seeing your struggles mirrored in another that you would never have known before you opened up the book and opened up your heart and started writing and sharing. Yeah, well, back to kind of this idea of also seeing how to be with each other in a different way, right? Versus kind of how we have traditionally shown up inside of you know, culture, which is how a lot of women end up kind of hanging out together is by almost life flagellating, right? It's like, that's, that's how we've learned in a lot of ways to be with one another is by, you know, talking about our shortcomings. And it's so interesting, because when we started recognizing that women are so interested now in seeking a different way of being together, mm-hmm. of seeing each other of connecting, but there's kind of this, this unsurfaced like, I don't know how, right? It's like what comes right. up for me with the Lilith circles is like, this is how, you yeah. know, it's like, here's how we do it. We start actually sharing by whether it's bringing up other women's stories or hearing other women's authentic stories. And as women being a witness without needing to fix each other, yes. without needing to point out each other's flaws, to actually be just there in the circle, holding it, holding space for another woman to be who she is. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful. And I know as, you know, somebody who's facilitated work like this for the last 10 years, it's just now it comes as so natural, but you know, it was so foreign in the beginning. I had never, I had never gathered with women in this way before. So I love, I love that you're doing it. And I do think that we're starving for it and we're seeking it now. And the women who come to them are coming because something in them is craving that Lilith, that Mm -hmm. validation that they are more than just, you know, the martyr that they thought they were, the 
you know, the Eve who ruined the whole world. Often I think women come together because their kids are the same age. They're in the same workplace and coming together because you have a common spiritual starting point Mm. gives you a good jumping off point. Yeah, it's so, so true. And so, um, and I'll be sure to post some resources for the Lilith you know, work for sure with this episode. But yeah, so are you finding that the Lilith Circle that you, the ones that you have hosted have been um, various ages or are you finding that women are tending to gravitate over a certain age? I was really surprised because I thought it would be mostly midlife people who had gotten to that place that they could now turn their attention to it. But we really had some young people. We had a mom who had like a six-month-old child who was in the process of kind of reassessing her identity in light of motherhood. We had people who were in their 60s, everyone in between. There was a greater diversity of ages than I thought there would be. Well, and what I love about that is that then you do get kind of there's there's the crone, right? Mm-hmm. The 60-year-old who can mm-hmm. speak to the mother, right? And then... yeah. It's just, it's such a beautiful way to, again, just not lose touch with and actually also see that the crone, right, which we were just about to get into, embodies so many beautiful qualities that, again, have been demonized in our society. Yes. And in so many ways, and of course, I could cry about it, you know, our older generations get so isolated and neglected. And yet this is just such, we need them more than ever, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of just keeping traditions alive, keeping stories alive, keeping us connected to all of the, you know, human experience. So, yeah. So, so talk about the crone a little bit as, as an archetype and there's another book, right? Exactly. There's another book, the crone. I really, I think just as we have to unprogram or reprogram ourselves from shying away from the feminine, we have to reprogram ourselves from shying away from the aging and the crone and that whole archetype, because there's so much emphasis on what you lose as you age, you lose your youthfulness, your beauty. And again, I like to cultivate the language and the images that support where I want to go. So I follow different accounts, women who are older, who have a grace and a beauty that I admire. I follow those people. I cultivate that because if you don't, you're going to be fed. You're not enough. You're getting older. You have to fix this. So I think we have to be proactive in seeking out the voices that we want in our head. It's so true. I mean, what you're pointing to as well is kind of this paying attention, noticing how are we setting ourselves up to, (laughs) you know, to consume messages that aren't where we want to head? Stop it. You know, like, yeah, then recurate your newsfeed. It's so it's so true that it's so important that women kind of do a little inventory. It's like, what are you subscribing to literally and, you know, and and digitally? There's look at your magazines, look at your books, look at the television programs that you're watching, right? Are they are they messaging to you in a way that can, can foster 
voices of strength and empowerment and self-love? Or are they the opposite? Because it's mm-hmm. true. What you're saying is like, we know that there's plenty of messages out there telling us all of the not enoughness, right? Yes. And telling us, giving us the perfect beauty product that will fix the sagging jowls and the wrinkling neck. Yeah. And and then there are other women out there who are changing the narrative and who are saying, I've earned every single one of these beautiful lines on my faces. Mm-hmm. I have a, a wonderful woman who's done the Revelation Project, and she has a blog called Lines of Beauty. Oh, yeah. And just she's she's really been a huge advocate for this. God, I've been following her now for like 10 years. But, you know, well before her time, you know, in terms of just bringing these messages to other women. And it's so important. So back kind of to the crone, because I'm I mean, I'll be 50 next year. And it's true Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's there's um there's so many new resources out there that haven't been there before. I know that, for example, I'm finding such a great support in some different Facebook groups around the narrative for menopause, you know, and how and what's available now. That's a tough one. And, you know, I could sit here and complain all day long. But at the end of the day, what I really need is to know that like, this isn't going to last forever, right? The symptoms of it and that, that I'm actually gaining as I go. And that, yes, there's, there's a death and a rebirth here available in each and every stage. And that this is a rite of passage. How about you with the crone? Like, what do you embody or love about the crone years? You know, I've had conversation with conversations with friends who are very uh, resistant to the crone. They're like, I don't like that word. I don't like the image. And um, it is a bit of a deprogramming, but I see it as the wise woman. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a wise woman. I want to embrace that. I guess the biggest challenge because of the world we live in is embracing that inner wisdom and being okay with the fact that our outer our body is going to change. I guess that's the tension because no matter how well you cultivate and curate your Instagram feed, there's going to be stuff that tells you you need to fix what's wrong on the outside. And we are a a society and a culture that is obsessed with youth or whatever this kind of like, again, I I tend to want to, I mean, it's pretty easy to to blame, right? But the bottom line is we all buy into that at some level. And, and it's, there's certainly a lot to be said for youth. And I also love those expressions like youth was wasted on the young. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you do, you do get to this point where I somebody on online the other day said something like, I'll give you two choices. You can either go back to six years old, and with all of the wisdom that you have, mm. or you can, it was some other thing. And I thought, no way, I would not go back for anything. That yeah. there's something about what, it's not about going back. It's about mm-hmm. somehow celebrating and learning to celebrate what's here now. Yes. And I think that there's a lot of like nostalgia. And again, I'm going to go back to romance, romancing mm-hmm. youth. 
And romance, I just want to say it again, is a trance. It's like, yes, whatever we tend to romance, I want to just say for our listeners, like, look at the trance inside of it, because Mm -hmm. there's something there's like, almost like a disconnect. There's like a, um, I always say like memories are a storage place for upsets, but like, especially when we look at phases of our lives and we look back and we think, oh, if I could do it all over again. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. I, w- I don't think I would want to do it all over again. Yeah. And I think as we age, there's something, you know, there's a lot of choices to be made about how you age as far as appearance goes. And if you've cultivated that still quiet, voice, you can ask it, does this feel good to me? Um, You know, should I go spend, I don't know how much money and how much time at the salon to get that little streak of gray out of my hair. And you can check in. And it's not like there's a right and a wrong, but you can, you can be making it from a mindful place versus versus kind of like a in order to fit in or in order to yeah right because because for sure I mean I I always am a big it's like whatever makes you feel good right but if but if there's an in order to either you know kind of because there's a fear it's more I think because I'm because I'm certainly not interested in in saying like because there are I have friends who get Botox. It's like, whatever yeah. makes you feel good, whatever. That's right. You know, if you want to do filler, if you want to age gracefully in that way, all yeah. like, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have no problem with it. It's more about, again, like, how are we feeling as a community of, and mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's like, can we actually start to look at what there is to celebrate as an elder, as a wise yeah. woman? And if you don't like the word crone, and I get that, Right. I, cause I do love this idea of being a wise woman, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really, it's an honor. There's, there's so much honor here Yes, and that I am finding beauty. Um, you know, it's so interesting because it wasn't until I learned to love myself and that's not, you know, it's not like that happened years ago. That's very recent occurrence for me. So learning how to love myself, it's like to be able to look at my own reflection because I couldn't, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and find the beauty in what was reflected back at me. I had such a trained critical eye and it's true now that I look at myself with so much more tenderness, so much more openness, so much more self-compassion and there's so much joy you know, in learning how to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's real. It's like a real feeling of freedom and of reclaiming, like you were saying. Yeah. That's just really, I mean, that in itself is beautiful. Yes. I mean, it's light and fluffy. But one of the things that has been really powerful to me is that that series, Grace and Frankie, which, you know, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, women in their 80s, starring in meaningful, funny, real, authentic. They're not playing the granny, you know, the typical granny mode. They're like real women living real lives. Yes. And I just think it's powerful just to show that. And I think age, race, uh, everything like that. I just wrote a post for Black History Month that encourages people to look at what you're consuming. If you want to be anti-racist, then you need to make sure 
your feeds, your TV shows, the books you read show diversity of perspective. Yeah. And I think that's true with age, with race, with gender, you know, look at what's coming in and you'll have a better idea what's going to come out. And to follow strong black women to follow. That was something, you know, again, wow, whole other podcast in terms of right, like topic, because it's so uh, it's such a relevant and necessary topic. And there's just endless content. But, you know, to to be able to as women notice again, like back to what we're consuming, Mm -hmm. it's like, we want to cultivate and encourage more inclusivity, more unity, more, you know, we have, we have to look at who we're following and seek Mm -hmm. people out that really are speaking up and speaking out and hearing what they have to say, because there is so many powerful, powerful women out there that have so much to teach us. And I love, I have some amazingly powerful black women that I follow who are just teaching Mm -hmm. me left and right. I am getting schooled like crazy. I am super excited. There's a local friend of mine, Tracy J, who is um, curating an event called A Hundred Voices. And it's a dinner around race and culture. And she's going to have a hundred women, 10 women at each table. And we're going to talk honestly and authentically about this topic, not shying away from it, not saying, oh, I don't see race. We're going to put it out there and talk about it. I love that. I do. Yeah. So, and Monette, just as we kind of wrap up here, so tell me and tell our listeners, how do, how do they find you on Instagram? They can find me at Monette Chilson and it's M-O-N-E-T-T-E-C-H-I-L-S-O-N. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not on the Facebook. The Um, Facebook. (laughs) Facebook. Oh God. Yep. And my blog is the same, monettechilson.com. We've got the Lilith Circles on there. So if you're interested in kind of a DIY approach, um, Trista and I are working on some things for the next year where we will actually put out a workbook that you can work through. But for now, all of that information is free on my website. Amazing. And the actual books uh, that you can purchase are also on Amazon, correct? Mm -hmm. They They are, yeah. If they wanted to get My Name is Lilith or Sophia Rising Mm -hmm. or Girl God. Yep. Right. It's all there. Awesome. It is. Well, and I just I just want to thank you again. You've been an amazing guest. I know that we'll have many more of these. This will just be I'll say the first of many. And um, yeah, and I and I can't wait to reveal more. Me too. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. If you're someone who would value an opportunity to work with us in a deeper way, We'd love to offer you an introductory free month into our online monthly membership, Remembering Sisterhood. Join us there for soul diving, live coaching, special guests, journal prompts, tips for living your most authentic life, and so much more. Simply go to our website, jointherevelation.com, and click on our membership link using the code podcast in the checkout. We can't wait to welcome you there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.